0: Well, River Tree family, it's great to worship with you this morning. It's a joy to be here. Uh, whether you are watching online and you're at your home, or you are listening to this on podcast later this week, or you're at the Cove campus or here downtown with me, like, I'm really incredibly thankful to be here with you this morning and start this brand new ser- sermon series called Life Interrupted. Um, You may have noticed there was a familiar psalm, but it seemed a little different to you. And it was actually Silent Night in the bumper video if you were trying to like kind of place, what psalm is that? And it sounded scattered and it sounded kind of crazy intentionally because the reality is, even though we sing that psalm every Christmas and it's very peaceful and it's very welcoming, if you study the Christmas story, as we will over the next four weeks, you know that the world was anything but silent as Jesus was coming into the world. There was a little chaos and a little uncertainty. So we kind of wanted to build that tension as we walked into the message each week. And over the next four weeks, um, we're going to be looking at different gospel narratives. And we're going to be looking at these stories, seeing how God absolutely interrupted people in the most ordinary circumstances that they were living their lives out in. And it's interesting because I think we've all experienced interruptions in life before, right? Right? Whether it's a kid kind of coming up to us and, and talking to us while we're trying to have a conversation with another adult. Or whether it's just, man, an unexpected phone call. We've all experienced interruptions from time to time in our life. And I'll illustrate it for you this way. I shared this story a few years back, but I couldn't find another story that really illustrated this point. Um, When I was 14 years old, my family bought a new house. We had lived in an apartment for a season, and we bought a new house in southeast Huntsville. It was new to us, at least. And I was so excited to show my friend this house. So we left his house. It was a 15-minute walk to my house. It was back when kids walked and rode their bikes back in those days, right? And, uh, And as we walked to my new house, I noticed that there's cars in the driveway. And I thought, great. My mom's invited people over, and you know when you have a new house, all that means is there's food and gifts coming, right? So I'm excited about walking in my new house. And as I get to the front door, I recognize that the house wasn't exactly how I remembered. I mean, we had just moved in one day before, and it was nighttime when we moved in, so I wasn't that familiar with the layout of the house. And I walk in the living room, and what I notice quickly shocks me. The living room is not my living room. The house is not my house. One of two things has happened. I have walked into the wrong house or I'm in a new alternate universe, okay? And I wasn't sure which one. Uh, Obviously, I walked into the wrong house. But I was definitely an interruption to the couple sitting on their couch watching TV. So I walked quickly out of the house hoping the people would not shoot me as I walked into their house, walked into the front yard. The world was spinning. I was nervous. I was shaking. I had no idea where my house had gone. And the man put his hand on my shoulder and said, son, are you okay? Quickly, I I expressed to him, no, I'm not. I said, you're not my parents and this isn't my house, but it was yesterday. And then he asked a question that was really revealing to me. He said, son, are you on drugs? (laughs) And, And I was like, I don't think so, but maybe. Like, I don't know what's going on. And sure enough, I told him my story. He was actually a pastor Um, he said, son, I believe your house is two houses up the street. And it was, if I had interrupted his life that day. And for a moment, my life was interrupted as ridiculous as that is. I think we're all familiar with normal interruptions from day to day. I mean, maybe it's a kid walking up in the middle of a conversation and you have to calmly say, Hey, mommy or daddy's talking to this person or it's a friend a really good friend who just interrupts you before you get your sentence out, right? Or you're the friend like me who interrupts the other person before they get their sentence out. God, some of you experienced this this morning. It's the alarm going off and it feels too early and you just want to hit snooze one more time. It's traffic. It's school shutting down this year. It's maybe the way you celebrated Thanksgiving. It felt like an interruption. It's an email. It's a notification on our smartphones that all of a sudden dings, and there's news that you didn't expect. It's a lost set of keys, and probably the reality is a million other little things. While those may seem silly, I also would offer you this, that there's other interruptions that are much deeper, right? And sometimes they're really great. Sometimes they're not so great. And sometimes it's to be determined. It's the Black Friday deal that you didn't even know was coming, but all of a sudden you saw it and you had to buy it and all of a sudden that was an interruption to your budget. It's the new house that wasn't exactly the way you thought it would be. It's the announcement of a baby. It's the phone call from the doctor saying you a loved one has cancer. It's the death of a loved one never happens when you expect it. It's the death of a friendship. A relationship that seems so rich during a season, but now it's no longer there. Maybe it's a job transition, a job promotion, a job loss. Maybe it's just this year in 2020, symptoms of being sick or being around somebody who has symptoms of being sick, right? Maybe it's when you pray and you're not sure if you're even being heard. It feels like an interruption. Maybe it's an election. Maybe it's the news. Maybe, just maybe, it's when God redirects your life and you are heading one way and all of a sudden there's a divine interruption and you're heading a new path. Sometimes when night is the darkest, light interrupts us in in surprising and special ways. And my hope today, as we look at Luke chapter one, starting in verse five, as we see this text and maybe the text over the next couple of weeks, we realize this. The Christmas story offers us this, that no matter what interruptions come our way, you ready for this, friends? There is always good news. There's always greater news than we even anticipate. Let's read Luke chapter one, starting in verse five. In the days of Herod, the king of Judah, there was a great, there was a, there was a priest named Zechariah. And he had a wife, the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child. And I would just offer you this. We'll get there in a little while. But that's the, the tension of the text. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now while serving, he was serving on duty as priest before God, when he and his division were on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by a lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside of the hour of incense. Now, I just offer you this. If you're not familiar with scripture, uh, we have two kind of separations of scripture There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the last book of the Old Testament is written by a, a prophet named Malachi. And, and when Malachi would speak his last words, the nation of Israel would experience 400 years of silence. Four hundred years without a prophet. Four hundred years without a word from God. Four hundred years without even the angels showing up and declaring the goodness of God. There was nothing for four hundred years, and Luke is writing to maybe a group of readers like us, a, a Gentile group of readers who weren't familiar with the nation of Israel or the people of Jerusalem. They weren't. He wasn't like he was writing to this group of people who wasn't totally familiar with everything going on. And as we look back into the text, there's something we know. That even though there was silence, even though it felt very dark in this moment in the nation of Israel's history, light was coming. Dawn was coming. The long night was about to be over. There was an interruption about to take place in the world that would not only impact all of the Middle East, all of Palestine, all of the Jewish people, but every person who would be born from that moment on in all of human history. And in verse 5, Luke is setting the stage for what he's writing about. He introduces this priest named Zechariah. Zechariah is an ordinary priest. Don't, don't miss this. He lives in a Judean hill country. He's one of about 8,000 priests just like him. And I love this about him. Because he's an ordinary guy in an ordinary time in an ordinary place doing his ordinary task and God is about to interrupt his life and intersect his life in a way that he never expected. He was just living his life Doing what seemed to be right. Doing the next right thing. And it's in this moment that God decides to move in his heart and his life. Because what Zachariah doesn't know is that God is working his plan that was set before the foundation of the world in motion behind the scenes in this moment. One amazing reality, right? That even in the ordinary, God begins to work. That God is active in the work. As we look at interruptions, what we realize is they're actually just part of our real life. So when these interruptions come, it would be great to pay attention to what God is actually doing. And this ordinary priest, Zechariah, his name means something. His name means the Lord has remembered. One commentary I read said that Zechariah was one of the most popular names given to male children in this time. I mean, just think about kind of the The tension in that, right? 400 years, the people of Israel have not heard from God, yet dads and moms are naming their children a name that means the Lord has remembered. There was a people believing that God was still at work, that God was still remembering his people and his covenant, even though they hadn't heard, they believed that God was doing something amazing. In a time that they could have felt forgotten, what Luke shows us here is that Zachariah, in just his name alone, highlights that we have a God who remembers and a God who does not forget us, a God who sees us and knows exactly where we are, declaring that He is faithful to His covenant. And I love verse six. Verse six begins to introduce Zachariah's family to us. It says he had a wife named Elizabeth, and they were a pretty awesome couple. We're told that they are righteous in the eyes of God, that they're walking blamelessly in all his commandments, that they were beautiful in God's sight. I mean, the normalcy of their life shouldn't be missed. And it doesn't mean that they were sinless in this moment, but what we learn is this, that God has set his affection on them and they have been transformed by his word. And friends, like, that sounds good to me. Like, if my wife and I, are viewed by God as blameless and righteous. That seems like enough, right? But there's something missing. There's something that was causing shame and guilt, probably inadequacy to take place in the family's life. We're told in verse seven, they had a major issue. And the issue was this, they were unable to have children. And if you're in this room and you've experienced the pain of infertility, or you have a loved one who has, you know how serious that is. Like the pain is almost unspeakable and unbearable at times. There's disappointment and stress that take place, even in our world today, right? When ancient Hebrew culture, it was more than this. It was almost unimaginable for, for you to walk around with barrenness. If you were barren as a woman, you were a disgrace to your family and your culture. Some people would view you and think that God was actually punishing you in this moment. We're told in the book of Genesis that Hagar looked down on Sarah because Sarah couldn't have children. We're told that Leah calls her barrenness misery. We're told that Hannah wept bitterly because she could not have a child. It was a moral stigma. And in the Jewish culture, they were thought that this was just the fate of the unrighteous. But what they didn't know in this moment, what Zachariah didn't know, what Elizabeth didn't know, is that even as dark as life was, even as much pain and suffering as they had experienced, even as much hopelessness as they felt, and how they may have even felt that they hadn't even been heard by God, life was changing and interruption was coming, and God was moving. Dawn was about to break. And I think it's something that you and I have in common with this couple. Often when God moves, it's never quite when we expect it, right? Like it's often when we're just living our ordinary life, going around our ordinary ways. And then all of a sudden God shows up, he interrupts and he intercepts our life and we are forever changed. When life feels dark, most of us aren't walking around like, hey, Dawn's right around the other side of this. But it is. Think about this. Zachariah was serving God as a priest. He was in the court of priests. Outside the court, there were people worshiping God. They hadn't heard from the Lord in 400 years yet. They are still showing up and they are still worshiping. And all of a sudden, lots are drawn. Zachariah has chosen to go inside the temple. I mean, for a priest, this is it. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I have to wonder too, like when you walk in the temple to burn incense, what do you even pray at that moment, right? Like you didn't expect it to be you probably, if you're honest. Maybe you pray for the personal tragedy you've experienced, that you could have a child. Maybe you pray that God will move again and the Messiah will come and the longing of the nations will be fulfilled. I mean, imagine Zechariah in this moment, in the heart of the temple the aroma of worship going everywhere, the smell of incense It's probably one of the greatest days in his life. But here's what we do know. In this moment, what happens next is unexpected. It's amazing. And it's an interruption in the middle of his life. Look at verse 11 with me. There he is. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And, your wife, and Elizabeth, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. Look how John's described. He says, you will have joy and gladness, and many people will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great. Before the Lord, he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the time he's in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people he has been prepared. Four hundred years of silence. And Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, shows up and speaks the first prophecy to God's people in 400 years. Last time we've seen Gabriel, in scripture is the book of Daniel in a place called Babylon, where the nation of Israel is exiled. It's about 500 years before this moment. In Babylon, the people of Israel did not think God would be there because they thought God was only in the temple. And what they learned is God is present with them wherever they went. And there's this moment that God begins to speak to Zechariah, And you've probably noticed this if you've read scripture before, but God often shows up in people's lives in scripture when they're doing their ordinary day-to-day task. David and Moses, tending sheep. Gideon, threshing wheat. Peter and his friends, they were fishing. They were doing their job. And Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I think what we need to realize is even while we're busy, even while we're active, God is still moving and God is still pursuing us in the midst of our day-to-day and activity. And when Gabriel shows up, he shows up with this big bombshell. He says, First of all, your prayers have been heard. You and your wife will have a son, and his name will be John. That's amazing. Like Gabriel's saying the impossible is about to become possible and we know this if we're parents in this room or we have friends who've had kids, but the news of a baby often is an interruption, right? Uh, Dr. E.T. Sullivan said it this way, the greatest forces in the world are not earthquakes. They're not thunder rolls. The greatest forces in the world are babies. And I love the way he frames it because it's so true. Like I can remember when, um, when we found out that my wife was pregnant with our daughter, Anna, who's 12 now. So many emotions, right? Like we go find name books. We tell everyone we know. We're excited about the news. We're, we can't wait for the ultrasound. Like there's so much of our life that was changing, getting the nursery ready, painting the nursery, buying stuff for a baby, like preparing for our daughter to come home. And then she's born and we're at the hospital. And the last night they're like, we're gonna give you the best dinner of your life. And it was a steak dinner at the hospital, which was different, right? But it was a, a pleasant interruption. And then they release you, right? And they give you the baby and say, Good luck. And I'm like, I can barely like fold my clothes, and you want me to keep a human alive? Like, this feels like a way too big of a risk. Like, I wanted to ask them, had they really considered what they were doing in this moment? But then babies are amazing interruptions. Maybe our sleep patterns change just a little. Maybe we readjust everything about our lives. Everything changes in that moment. And for Zachariah, like you gotta believe in this moment. This had to be quite possibly the greatest news ever, right? Like it's in this moment that it feels like all of history stops for Zechariah, And the angel of the Lord speaks to him and like, I'm ready. I'm like, man, I cannot wait to see how he responds. Look at verse 18 with me, how he responds. And Zechariah said to the angel of the Lord, how shall I know this? For I am old man, and my wife is advanced in years. He responds with disbelief. I, it's a little jarring when you think about it. If anyone knew the stories of the Old Testament, specifically the book of Genesis, I would think it was a, a priest who was walking into the temple of the Lord, Right? Most likely, dude, this guy could share all the stories of the book of Genesis. He could talk about how God provided his son for Abraham, Leah, Jacob. Like all these people. Like he could say God was faithful over all these years. But in this moment, his faith is weak. In this moment, he doubts. And I want you to see something. I don't want to move too fast through this part of the text. Here's a man who has devoted himself completely to God. We are told that he loves God and God loves him and his family is righteous in God's sight. And in his faithfulness, in doing the right thing, in praying that God would speak, all of a sudden God shows up. And I think our expectation is like, yes! Like this is the moment God is answering his prayer. But instead of rejoicing and running out saying, hey, I'm about to be a father, He doubts. God is answering the prayer. I believe that Zachariah and Elizabeth had prayed for the longest time in their life. Maybe it was a prayer they hadn't prayed recently, but surely when they were newlyweds, they prayed over and over and over that God would provide a child for them. And God is saying, yes, like in this moment, I'm speaking to you and I am telling you the pain, the shame you've experienced over not having a child, that is over. It's done with. You're going to have a son, You're gonna have an heir. Not only that, like, think about how John's described. Many people were rejoiced by this guy's birth. Like, he's gonna be great in the sight of the Lord. He's gonna do great things for God. I think the way John's described, like, any of us would take that for any of our kids, right? Like, what a great moment. What an interruption. It feels like in this moment, Zachariah is actually living out his namesake, that God had remembered him and his family teaching us that God doesn't just care about the world as a whole. God cares about individuals. God cares about you. He cares about what's going on in your life right now. A man who knew all the stories and promises of God, who spent his life devoted to God, who prayed countless prayers for his child, and the moment his prayer is answered, he doubts. And if we are honest We feel like if anyone would have believed, it would have been him. Yeah, I'm gonna be really honest this morning. Like, I find extreme comfort in his doubt. Because if I'm honest, I experience this at times. I can pray and ask God to move in people's lives. I I can pray and ask for miracles. I can pray and ask for friends who are far away from the Lord to be restored. Yeah, if I'm honest, there's times I doubt or don't believe that God will actually answer those prayers, or people are too far gone for God to even move. Or when God does move, I start to doubt if it's real, right? I start to question their intentions and people's intentions, and is, is this really God working, or is this something else? I want to ask this question to you this morning, whether you're watching online or Cove or downtown. What would it mean for the prayer that you've prayed the longest for God to actually answer it? And for you to respond in doubt. What would it say about you? What would it say about your faith? What would it say about God? For some of us, we might feel like at that moment, God would just dismiss us, right? God would just say, I'm done with you. Others might think we've hurt God. But the reality is this. While you and I might not be comfortable with our doubts when it comes to our faith in God, I'll tell you who is comfortable with our doubts, God. Like he's absolutely more than willing and able to meet us in the midst of our doubting with amazing and unfounded grace. Like God doesn't just stiff arm you when you doubt and say, hey, I'm done with you. No, God pursues you and he chases after you, and he transforms you, and he gives you grace in the middle of doubt. See, Gabriel responds to to, um, Zachariah's doubt here in verse 19. He answers him, I'm Gabriel, man. Okay, he didn't say man, but I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day these sins have taken place, because you have not believed my words. Gabriel's like, I I stand in the presence of God. If anyone has authority to tell you these things, it's me. And then it's really interesting because he says, and now Zechariah, the first person who's heard from God in 400 years will be silent for another nine months. I mean, it's amazing, right? But there's more. There's more to this story. What looks like a punishment is actually wrapped up in God's love and God's grace. See, I think a lot of times, like I focused on the story and I've thought, okay, here's the story. God shows up. He speaks to Zechariah, Zachariah doubts. Nine months later, he writes on the tablet. His name is John. Woo, we all cheer, right? And the point of this story is I shouldn't doubt like Zechariah. But that's not the point. Like we're missing the beauty of this text if that's all we narrow it down to because there's something more going on in the text. Don't miss what Gabriel says. He says, I was sent to bring you good news. In other words, man, Gabriel has come to proclaim the gospel. This is grace. In the middle of doubt, God sends his messenger to bring good news. Eugene Peterson said it this way. A person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she acquires an appetite for grace. And here we see God stirring Zechariah's appetite for grace. I pray he would do the same for us in this room this morning. He would stir our appetite with grace. That we would get fed up with the ways of this world that we would get fed up with just trying to earn our own salvation and be good enough, right? And and then God would stir our appetite for grace, and we'd be ready to receive that. I mean, this is a picture of grace. In verse 19, it says, here's the good news. In verse 20, and the good news will be fulfilled. And it's not based on your goodness or your righteousness or your character, Zechariah. No, not at all. I mean, think about it this way. There's a contrast, right? In verse 20, we are told that this guy who is considered righteous and blameless, a keeper of the law, he would be this doubting old man. He wouldn't even believe an angel right in front of him. It's just further proof that there's no faith so little that's not saving faith. Man, I love that. It's not the strength of your faith that saves, but the strength of our Savior I mean, Jesus said, if you have the faith of what? A mustard seed, you can move mountains. It's also proof that blamelessness and righteousness aren't earned, but they're given by God. See, I I would offer you this. If Zachariah and Elizabeth got what they deserved, what their circumstances indicated, they just keep going through the motions, right? They would get older without a child and they would die. But instead, God blesses them based on his goodness, According to his glory, according to his strength, redeeming their circumstances and not only redeeming their circumstances, but also friends, he was redeeming their time. Though they were old in age, God was providing a son for them. The shame, the accusations, the insults were taken away. How? By God's grace. But there's more, right? The good news wasn't just that John would be born. Now, the good news was the gospel. The dawn was coming. The darkness was being pushed back and light was about to overcome the darkness and defeat the darkness once and for all. The good news that Gabriel brought Zachariah was better than you're going to have a son. The good news was that God's son was coming to save. Because the reality is this, that even as gracious as it was for God to give Zachariah and Elizabeth a son, John's life would be anything but normal, right? I mean, yes, he would do great things for God, but he'd also grow up and live in the wilderness. His meals would be bugs and honey, right? He would baptize people, and people would make fun of him and laugh at him. He would be outcast by the religious leaders of the day, and then ultimately he would end up in a jail cell and die in that jail cell, beheaded. It's not the life we want for our children. That's why they needed more. And after nine months of silence, John is born and Zechariah can speak. And I accidentally deleted this part from my notes, but we've got the verses on the screen. I don't want you to miss it. And they made signs to his father acquiring what he wanted to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. and He wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and look at this, this is beautiful. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed. And he spoke blessings of God and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is on him. And we're just going to read this part. We're not going to read the whole scripture here to verse 80, but look at this. And the father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and see it and he prophesied. I don't want you to miss it. 400 years without a prophet. 400 years of silence. And the first prophet we see in scripture in the New Testament is the one who doubts. Mm. That's grace. That's amazing. That's awesome. And my hope for you this morning is this, that you would let Gabriel's proclamation of the gospel reign ever so true in your hearts today in this Christmas season. That the good news first proclaimed to Zachariah would be good news to you this morning. As much as I believe with everything in me that God wants to speak to your pain, he wants to speak to your hurt and he will. He wants to speak to your suffering. He knows that you need more than just an answered prayer in an impossible situation, okay? No, what God knows the most is that you and I, we need a savior, You need better news, as one of my friends put it recently, than the COVID vaccine or being able to hug people without a mask. You need better news than the economy is going to be the best economy ever in 2021. You need better news than good things that are going to happen. No, while those are good things, they aren't the good news that your soul and my soul need the most. So I encourage you this morning with everything in me to take Gabriel's words to heart. Good news has come to interrupt and to intercept your life this year. And let that good news reach into every single part and crevice of your heart. To the part that is hopeless, there is good news. A Savior is born. To the part that doubts that God is still working or God is still listening to you, there is good news. A savior has come into the world. To the part that is hardened towards the things of God, there is good news. There is a God who loves you and is able to deal with your heart and heart and begin to soften it. To the part that is wavering and uncertain and embarrassed and feels shame, And guilt, there is good news. Jesus has been born, but not just that he was born. But man, he ascended a hill called Calvary. He took our place, sinless, perfect, because of love. Died on the cross for us, bearing the full wrath of God in our place. Being buried in the tomb, there is good news. He is alive. And he is more than able and willing Continue to proclaim that good news to your heart today. Dawn is coming. Don't miss it. I want to ask a question before I pray. Where might God be be interrupting your life today? As we pray, I want you to reflect on that. Where do you need the good news the most in your life right now? Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. Thank you. You're a good father. You're a good shepherd. That you have come into the world to transform and to change us. And God, I ask the good news would reach into the deepest parts of our heart today. God, the parts that we've kept from you for so long, God, that we would allow you to Proclaim good news to us. The Savior is born. And Lord, I thank you. No matter where we are in life today, we can praise you. Whether we are stronger than ever in our faith today, we can praise you. For God, whether we feel weak, ashamed, doubting, uncomfortable, unworthy, God, you make us worthy. God, you love us and you're comfortable with where we're at, and you don't push us away. In fact, God, I believe for the person who feels the furthest away from you right now, you are so close to them. So Lord, allow them to feel that. And God, help us answer the question today. Where are you intercepting our life? Where are you interrupting our life? And let us be attentive to that work. And Lord, as we worship now, God, we worship you.